You are now listening to the Millennial Travel Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, podcast listeners? Are you ready for another episode of the Millennial Travel Podcast series? This one goes into the archives where I was doing research for my book, The Millennial Travel Podcast. And I am very excited to get this out to you because it is all about sustainability. Now, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. I won't go into it into the intro, but Lydia Dean is an absolute expert on all things sustainability. And it's just such an important topic that we travel responsibly. And uh, that's what this is all about, how you can spend your money the right way. We do this at Under 30 Experiences and uh, really do our best to let our travelers know how they can support the right causes when they travel, both at home and abroad. Of course, this episode in uh, the two years that it took me to uh, write this book and do all the research has been recorded pre-COVID. So if there's anything that sounds a little uh, out of line for the current times, uh, please understand that this episode was recorded pre-COVID, but everything still here can be applied to both international travel when we get out to do doing so and domestic travel here in the United States as well. So uh, without further ado, Thank you so much for listening. And one quick piece of housekeeping. Uh, We still have some seats left to our Yosemite trips running this October. We're really excited about those. And this winter, we have Lake Tahoe. We have Joshua Tree and a lot of other really cool stuff lined up uh, for you, including Zion and Bryce Canyon. So if you want to check those out, under30experiences.com. You can check out our USA trips and uh, we hope to see you out having some fun somewhere soon. Thanks so much. Hello everyone and welcome. I'm your host Matt Wilson and today we're here with Lydia Dean. Lydia is the author of Jumping the Picket Fence, a woman's search for meaning from the suburbs to the slums. She is founder and director of Go Philanthropic Travel offers travel uh, and their support of local uh, communities and she is the founder of Go Philanthropic Foundation to partner with small grassroots nonprofits offering greater access to resources and opportunities. In my preparation for the Millennial Travel Guidebook, I was looking for resources about all right, if people want to go and volunteer and they want to go overseas, they want to uh, give back in some way, shape, or form, what should they look out for? I called my friend Travis Day and he sent me in Lydia's direction and it turns out that Lydia has a much deeper story here, which uh, we're going to be sharing today. So without further ado, Lydia, welcome. Oh, Matt, so... So thankful for you having invited me to this to this podcast. Happy to be here and happy to share um, my personal experience and how it led me to understanding more about the world and myself and how I can make a difference out there and how we can in, in general, all of us. No, well, well, thank you very much. And I, I just, uh, I, I'm 
really interested in your story. I know that uh, you were an executive search consultant and you left the American dream as we were talking a little bit off camera and uh, you moved to France out of all places and uh, it's taking you on a, on a ride or, or maybe actually to Costa Rica first, but it's taking you on an interesting trip. So I'd love if you could share a little bit of your story as we kick things off. Sure, sure. It's a good place to start because I was thinking, you know, about uh, under 30 experiences in the age and I'm now approaching my 50s and how all of this started um, before I reached the age 30. So it was, you know, some epiphanies that that happened at what I think is a critical time in life. But, um, you know, I got out of college and did what what we're all kind of, you know, told to do. And that's to get a job and to think about, you know, building a life and security and then 401k and houses and marriages and kids and all that. And, and, and I did all of that, um, really quickly. And by the age of 27 was an executive search consultant, had our own, um, my husband and I had our own company together. Um, and we were very successful and I looked around this, this beautiful house we had and, this life that we'd built. And I just felt in the pit of my stomach that it wasn't what I really wanted. And I, I couldn't find meaning in it. And I felt very, very lost. So I had a sort of midlife crisis before I hit 30. <laughs> and, um, you know, just kind of said to him, I think we need to go on a search for more. And I don't know what that means. You know, will you do it with me? And the di difficult part was that we had two young kids at the time. I had you know, a, a two and a four year old and, um, and a new business with my husband. And so I think what I was asking was quite a lot, uh, because I didn't know what I was going to. So the first thing I did was I said, um, I think I need to, to get away from the job and just kind of take a step back and think about what there is to do in the world. And I did that. And I spent a lot of time at the library with the kids and we just, you know, while they were thumbing through little, you know, kitty books, I was reading about people's adventures all around the world from hiking up mountains to, you know, just backpacking to, you know, anything about getting out in the world. And for me, that was my big escape. And um, at the end of a period of time of a lot of reading, um, I just said to, to my husband, you know, why don't we just go to Costa Rica for some time? And we did. And that was our first step out. Um, and it was great because, you know, six weeks of just you no know, schedule and just the freedom to, to think and consider, you know, what the next steps were, were great, but you know, it wasn't really enough. And I think what I was searching for was, was much deeper than that. So, um, you know, we, we hit another brick wall and, uh, ended up just selling the house and moving to a, a small house in the South of France and, uh, just basically sold everything and, and started anew. So it was a very scary time because there was no roadmap and everything we'd been taught about security and about building and about what you should have in life, we were basically throwing out the window. And we were literally told that, you know, by various people and family. And, you know, we just had to trust the gut that there was more out there. So I'm, I'm very thankful that I had a, um, a partner in that who, who, you know, believed that there could be more. And, you know, from there, we one foot in front of the other, we, you know, we started to travel, travel further and further and further. Um, we brought our kids with us, which was, you know, not always easy. And, you know, eventually later on, um, 
I had a really crappy volunteer experience, which um, which led me to the building of Go Philanthropic. So I'll stop there. No, that, this is great. <laughs> uh, I won't let you stop there. So of course we can get into uh, what makes up a bad volunteer experience later on. But uh, I'm, I'd love to know how you found yourself in the south of France. Well, my, my family's European, so there was a, a link there, and my dad um, has a village house um, not too far from where we have our house here. So it was just a, it was a way out. You know, it was just, I think anything would have gone at that point, you know, any place where we could kind of jump to. And, and so we said, let's, let's just go there for a year. And uh, the plan was to just be here for a year, and we plunked the kids in, in the local village school, and within... I would say like five to six months, they were speaking fluently and we were like, holy crap, you know, that's kind of an example of what, uh, you know, how sponge-like we can be when we get ourselves out of that, that kind of cookie cut cutter mold. And we realized what was happening in front of us with our, with our kids. And just as a family, we were doing different things and meeting different people and eating different things. And we were just alive again. So we, we didn't want it to stop. And so we never went back after that year. And during that time, um, you know, the twin towers came down and it was just a, you know, a terrible moment in, in history. And we were working in, in the insurance industry and we were still doing some work in, in, uh, executive search and, and it really affected our business and it affected the way we looked at life. And we just thought, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we really need to, to see what else is out there and, and to really make use of all the skills we have and to not be afraid. I think, I think that was actually the key was to stop putting fear in front of the life that we have, um, that we all have in front of us. And we realized how fragile it is. And we said, um, you know, maybe we'll, we'll just stay. So we did. And we, we bought an old farmhouse and then renovated it and, uh, began, um, what later became a, a luxury villa rental business in the South of France, which is, um, you know, what, what, uh, my husband does primarily as, you know, as our for-profit business. And together we, um, he's also been very active in the building of, of the nonprofit. Wow, that's great. Okay, so um, so you got the for-profit business up and mm -hmm. running, yeah. and you had uh, downsized from your life in the States, it, it sounds like, in search of more simplicity? Actually, we, we built the business um, probably after a seven-year period, so there, there okay. was a long period of nothing. Um, we sold everything in the U.S. We did. We bought a house here, and then we kind of rented it out. You know, during the summer months when you know people were coming here, and villa rental was just new at that point, so it was kind of, you know, drips and drabs of it. But it worked, and it was working. It was a new, you know, up and coming kind of thing to do. But we didn't have jobs anymore, you know. And whatever we made during those summer months, we would put into renovating the house and, and traveling. And, um, so we really were not, you know, building during that period of time. And we, we did not get ahead financially at all yet during those seven years. I think we, we learned more about who we were as people, who we have been at from the very start and kind of reconnected with that. And, um, for me, it was, it was travel and, and, and understanding I'd always had, this kind of love of 
um, humanitarian issues. I loved Mother Teresa. I loved Gandhi. I loved, I dreamt about being in the Peace Corps. And, you know, to go back to what we're kind of bred to want and build in life, I, I got very disconnected with those um, early dreams. And when we had the time in France in those early years, I, I reconnected with those desires. And I think because some of those fear zones had kind of, you know, dissipated a little bit, um, I thought, hmm, maybe, maybe I'd like to do something there again. And I had little bits of confidence to walk that path, but, you know, only in its, in, in its infancy. And it, it didn't come until, you know, at the end of that seven year period, actually, when we were considering coming back to the States that, that I took a volunteer trip and, and, um, really started to, um, consider my own personal kind of desire and, and follow that, that gut instinct to, to do what I wanted to do as a child. But it took, it took that time off. <laughs> Seven okay. Years. It wasn't like a month. It was a long no, time. No, <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like quite a long time. And I'm, I'm, I would love to know a little bit more about during that seven years. It sounds like you might have had some naysayers, and uh, including perhaps even the two of you who are, who might have been considering, oh, geez, I have yeah. young kids. I should be. Yeah, we should be totally. building. What about their future? And so, how do you how do you balance this idea that well? building a, a you know, building a family and uh, financial support is one thing, but also building a life that's rich in travel experiences and uh, real world education, if you will, is a complete, you know, something that's much more difficult to put a value on. So I, I'm curious how you balance those two things. Well, for starters, I think if you if you leave the area where you're getting that pressure, that societal pressure, um, which for us was the U.S., you know, for for other people, it might be there could be, I don't know, Sweden or wherever you are. I mean, I'm not saying it's just the U.S. where you get the societal that particular pressure. But for us, it was we had to leave home. And so just the very fact of being in the south of France and being away from um, probably our self-imposed pressures, we were freer to think about what we wanted. So just the distance alone, the physical distance from um, those expectations, be those personal or familial or, or you know, our society, um, that was a, really helped. Um, and then we were also, you know, we weren't in Paris, we weren't in areas where there was a whole lot of English, so we were isolated. Um, and so we just had each other, you know, our kids were really tiny and just learning how to speak English. But to, to us, we had this little, this little cocoon of a family. And, and then we started to get out and experience all of these amazing new things. And frankly, it was just too good to consider anything other than that. And that became, um, that became our inspiration because we just knew there was so much more out there and what we were living in the south of France and being so connected to nature and, and learning so much every day from language to everything else that, you know, you learn when you, when you transplant, um, then it, you know, it even got broader and broader and broader as we started to travel and see the rest of the world. Um, then there was just no looking back. So there was just simply no looking back. That's, that, that's amazing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm interested to know 
if you were able to surround yourself by other people, of course, you had this cocoon of family, but as mm -hmm. you traveled, did you meet other expats or travelers yeah. who were like-minded to you and yeah. you thought, okay, maybe this is okay? Very much so. I mean, like a small network of them, but that was enough to to give you the encouragement that you weren't going crazy and you were, yes, going against the grain, but there were other young families um, doing the same thing. So yes, in Costa Rica, we met a lot of um, young families who, who wanted different. Um, here, traveling, yeah, all along the way, we met people who were sailing around the world with their kids, doing the untraditional, um, homeschooling, all that, which for us came later. And we, 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 we did all of that. It, I think you realize that it doesn't need to be done just one way and you don't need a whole lot of other people to confirm that, but it was really helpful to, um, to meet other families and people who were, who were walking a similar kind of unconventional path. Yeah. I think otherwise you would have Kind of felt like you were in your just your own bubble and and would have questioned that so it was yeah we we um we have a lot of and did back then a lot of french and local friends but we had one or two families who were american and or english and uh it was it was nice and uh, nice to have that that mini support network yeah that's that's great and i think it's yeah it's so important for the listeners to to understand that once you start to travel or you make these decisions that you're not quite as alone as you might think. And I'm sure in rural, Fr you know, in, in rural France, it's Provence, much different yeah. than living at the beach in Costa Rica where there are probably more expats around and, and all I think that. the key is to not um, is to not lean or depend on that. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think there are, you know, we've had the opportunity to travel to, to different places where there are hubs of expats. And you can see if there's an insular expat community, um, you can feel it. Um, it's really helpful to, to not like suck yourself into that. I agree. I, I I think you're 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 doing the opposite of what you really intended in the in the first place and and yes it's very uncomfortable there are some really uncomfortable and lonely moments but um, the highs definitely uh, keep you moving and um, yeah you you just can't seek the comfort zone I think that's what it comes down to no, <laughs> as tempting as that is <laughs> people try to recreate what they have in the states abroad and then you kind of wonder yeah. well what's what's We're the creatures point? of habit of course of <laughs> course okay so so take me to your your first volunteer experience so, you know, after this time, this great reflective time um, for a bunch of years, I was like, okay, let's, let's get on with it. Let's, you know, let's do some of the things that you wanted to do as a kid. So, you know, I did what pretty much I think a lot of people do. They just say, okay, I want to give back. I want to, I want to, I want to go to some neat places, but I, I want to help. Now I'm ready. You know, I've, I've done some traveling. Now I'm ready to give. So the first thought is to sign up for a volunteer trip. And that's what I did. And a lot of people think, let's go volunteer at an orphanage. I was a mother. Um, and I thought, you know, I, I know how to do that well. So I'll, I'll, I'll go where I think I can, you know, make it work. Um, so I did. And I was really shocked. Um, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I, it was... It was despite having been to a lot of places um, and some rough places around the world, 
um, yeah, I was really somewhere where I wasn't altogether in my, in my comfort zone at all. And I was with about five or six other people and, uh, we, we arrived and we were just kind of plunked, um, the following day at this orphanage slash school and kind of handed some bits of paper and some pens and it was really hot and we were jet lagged and a couple of us weren't feeling well. And it was all just surreal. It was surreal that we were supposed to function, you know, teaching English with zero preparation. We honestly didn't, weren't prepared at all. Um, we hadn't prepared ourselves at all, but the organization that had arranged the trip hadn't prepared it at all either for us. So we just went with this open heart of like, I want to give back. And, and now, you know, so many years later after being involved in this type of work, um, you realize how, how beautiful those intentions are, but also how naive that is too. And I, I feel, um, I feel sad that so many people might have had a similar experience um, to me because I felt rather useless in front of these children. I didn't speak their language. I wasn't feeling my tip top game because I was, you know, hot and uncomfortable and, and um, underconfident. I didn't have any tools. I didn't have any background knowledge about them and the situations they were coming from. Uh, I was there for 10 days and then I knew that another volunteer group volunteer group was going to come after me to do the same thing. So you think about now I understand some of the questions, um, that we ask, you know, you know, what kind, what kind of situations are these kids coming from? Some of them are, are orphans. Some of them are not. Um, some of them have been through very, very traumatic experiences. So just kind of a cycle of clueless foreigners in front of their faces every day. Honestly, it's, 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 um, it's not comical. It's, it's, it's way more severe than that. When you look at that, that kind of model for quote help, uh, it didn't help me and it didn't help them. And I came home thinking, wow, that was a shit show in so many ways, shapes and forms. And we have to do this better. And I, I just didn't want others, um, to go through the same situation. And I certainly didn't want kids, um, who, like who I met to, to, to have to live through that. There's just so much better. There's so much better we can do. And it just required a bit of thought. So that's where I started. Jeez, I, I can imagine. And then where did you go from there? So kicked around a bunch of ideas with um, my husband and life partner, John. And, um, you know, we just started with, well, what's wrong with this? Like what pieces were wrong with it? And the first piece was that um, we felt that people um, understood um in general, programs probably understand what they need and that the volunteers like me didn't like I didn't know what the solutions were. So let's like break that apart for starters. I mean, that that just doesn't work. So let's start with, you know, volunteer learning about something, having some level of education before they're coming in. Let's let's put a, a buffer between just this need to give and probably a need to learn first. And then from an NGO or a nonprofit program in a developing country, you know, let's make sure they're very clear about what their needs are and the benefits to the people 
that they're that they're helping in their community and understand how any outsiders could could possibly you know be a part of um, their growth. So I think it, it it really honestly started by dissecting the whole thing, and we were in um, a dissection kind of space for many years, just learning about the developing world. I knew nothing about nonprofits. I knew nothing about humanitarian work. I knew nothing about the giving world at all. So I, I went back to what has always led me and that's books. Uh, and I combined reading, um, from people who knew way, way more than me with going back to traveling, meeting with programs and kind of just looking in and observing huh, how does this work? What do you need? And listening. And then from there thought, okay, how do we then perhaps plug in the travel world in a way that makes sense? So again, a lot of building years, a lot of what felt like not doing anything, but actually a lot was happening in the, in the preparation for what was to come. So in as much as I see the seven years in, in, in Provence, um, doing nothing. Um, it, there was a lot going on in there. Um, I see the early days of go philanthropic travel because it was, um, a travel company before it later became a nonprofit or before the nonprofit was born. Um, it seems like nothing was going on there, but sometimes that's what's needed. You can't just, you know, react and, um, and try and fix, you need to understand. So that, that's what we did in the early days. Well, I really appreciate your sentiment, Lydia, about re uh, trying to understand fully and grasp uh, what you can do to support rather than just going in blindly and yeah. thinking, yeah, and thinking you know what you uh, what you're talking about or what these organizations need or what the people need. And in your example, without even speaking, the local language. Uh, of course, there are people who you can speak to in possibly in the community in English, but it's, yeah, it's not easy. And if you just go in there knowing nothing and uh, yeah, I, I could not, I couldn't be happier that you, that you said that. And I, I really, um, we always try to use the word support of the local community rather than help and ask them what they what the people in the local communities need support with so that it's a joint effort uh, mm. more rather than just kind of this one way transactional uh, yep. approach. And another thing that I'm really interested in and uh, I'm curious what you think about it is I think that these type of experiences need to be two way uh, two way transactions, if you will. Um, I don't love the word transaction here, but where both parties benefit, where the volunteers really do get something out of it. Uh, and the people, of course, or, or the local community, they also benefit because it keeps people engaged. And uh, if there's some type of cultural exchange, then it's not just, oh, we st stood in front of the classroom and tried to teach you English and lectured at you. It's mm. just like mm. any other classroom. You want it there to be some back and forth and an exchange of knowledge and ideas and of this type of support. So I'm, I'm curious what type of things you look at uh, when you're uh, yeah, assessing a, a community. Well, 
That's a really good question because so we started Go Philanthropic Travel thinking that we could find these great programs um, and that that would be rather easy and that was naive in itself. Um, and then, you know, just kind of plug a traveler in there so that the traveler could um, listen to what they do and then um, support directly through donations of whatever they needed. I mean, it was really like that simple in my mind. Um, so we did that for a little bit and it actually really worked. We were very successful in finding very honest programs right off the bat. I don't know if that was just a sixth sense, you know, and, and we got lucky because actually we know now that that takes a, a lot of due diligence and it's, it's not easy to find very forthright programs. It's, there's a, just a whole world of NGO corruption out there that nobody would know exists or want to know exists, but, but it is because there's a lot of money involved in it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, what we actually did after running, you know, a few years, years of successful philanthropic trips is that we realized mm, if we're really going to benefit local communities, we really have to understand what these needs are. And that's a job in itself. So we essentially put Go Philanthropic Travel and the trips um, and facilitating trips on hold until we knew what we were doing on that community side. Um, so we started Go Philanthropic Foundation and its purpose is really to understand what those needs are. And, and that takes investment in time and energy in itself. And there's, you know, a lot of just listening and learning and understanding what the kind of regional dynamics are and what elements go are involved in the in the various layers of what creates poverty? I mean, take Cambodia for example. The the genocide, you know, was 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 the variable. And if you don't understand the history of a country, you can't understand, um, you know, its dynamics. And if you don't understand its dynamics, you don't understand what it might need to become. Um, a stronger and more self-reliant country. So these are not things that you can just, you know, quick, quickly understand. Um, it takes a lot of meetings with a lot of different organizations to understand how they're getting at a certain problem. And, you know, what they feel is the most productive way to advance. And um, they do need, they could use our help and, and are, you know, really hungry for it. But it's not always what we think they need. Like we think in terms of, you know, school books and um, school buildings and toilets and wells. And yes, all of those things are needed. There's no doubt about it. But you need the knowledge around that, too. You need teachers to be well-trained. Um, the staff members of a small grassroots nonprofit, you know, sometimes they're, they haven't had much education. And so leading their own teams is a real challenge for them. And we realized, holy cow, this is a hell of a lot more complex than we thought. So we've spent a lot of years at the foundation just working with a, um, a small portfolio of, of NGOs working at the grassroots in in providing education, healthcare, and access to to human rights in in a few areas around the world to understand. Now we can see a lot of similarities across them, and and we 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 have more of a volume of it. But now we're very very clear. It's it's clear to us what they need because we've developed a relationship with them, and there's an openness in in understanding. But I can tell you what we thought they needed on day one 
is certainly not what we see as most productive um, in terms of a partnership and how we can help them now. So imagine a volunteer, you know, a 28-year-old or a 33-year-old volunteer coming in from, you know, from wherever, San Francisco. How are they able to assess what a community needs and how are they able to give the best of themselves to, 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 to help them? It, it just is, is it, it's not the right, you know, it doesn't have the right probability for success, sure. let's put it that way. <laughs> sure. So um, we want to be a resource, and we're working with other organizations as well. Um, there are a lot of us out there that are, are a part of this movement to help connect the dots to make that happen. Because the beautiful thing is that wonderful intention that I had, that everyone, a lot of people have, and that's I want to do something that matters and I want to help. The problem is, you know, we don't have the experience nor the connections to kind of be able to, to do that safely and responsibly in a way that is most effective. And, um, you know, that's a journey in itself. So we're here to help create those safe pathways so that someone can take that, that, that kind of naive but beautiful intention and actually see it do something. Um, it just was way more complex than I than I thought. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, for for under thirty experiences, to take as an example, you know, we might operate now in close to twenty different countries, and it's easy for us to say, okay, our goal is to have a program that gives back on every single one of our trips. But it's much more difficult to find a worthwhile organization mm. to partner with that actually does something that's not just a piece of marketing on our website uh, so that we can stand by some fluffy mission statement. Uh, it, it really- A lot of that happens. Yeah, kind of, yeah. and there's, but there's just so many, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more that there's so many complexities and nuances that are, are very often unintended when you start programs like mm -hmm. this. So, uh, yeah, thank you again for, for explaining that. And I wanted to ask, Lydia, if you could tell everybody what type of programs now that you're running and what type, mm -hmm. in where around the world that you found to be really successful, what are you most proud of? Um, gosh, uh, there were a lot of questions in there. Let me start with <laughs> just giving you the scope of where we work. Please. Um, we work in Southeast Asia, in Vietnam, in Cambodia, in Laos. Um, we work in Guatemala, in India, in Nepal. Uh, we work in Kenya, though we haven't done much on the travel side there due to some, some safety issues. Um, so that's where we work. We work with approximately 40-some programs across all of those regions. Um, we probably have, I think, 27 grants ongoing now. So what we do is we don't just kind of give indiscriminately. Um, to these programs, there's a, a very detailed and methodical process to identify what their needs are that, that come from them, driven by them. And then, um, you know, there's a capacity building element in, in our investment. So we're investing in grants and in capacity building as well over a certain period of time. And then it kind of gets weaned off so that there isn't a cycle of dependency. And all through that process, what we do with GoFill Travel is that we, um, we put together trips so that people can come and see their work and so that these programs can speak for themselves. And I think we minimize what that, 
that simple step is of a program, a founder of a program standing up in front of a group of 10 foreigners and saying, this is where my program started. These were the needs in my communities. I, I was a, a victim of, say, you know, human trafficking. And um, in response to that, I've decided to, you know, start this program. And um, the very kind of the very um, act of standing in front of a group of foreigners and telling their story themselves when, you know, in years past, maybe nobody even knew that this small program existed is, is, is so important, you know, and um, is a part of their, their process of becoming stronger and more resilient, resilient and having a voice for what they do. So um, we work with, we do a lot with small pro- programs dealing with human trafficking so especially in, in Nepal and in Southeast Asia, where we're seeing a lot of that happen. Um, we do a lot with um, communities that are marginalized because they're ethnic minorities. So oftentimes, um, you know, ethnic minorities are, are cut off from, from, from their own governments and from, from access to, to basic things that a, that a citizen is allowed because they're not considered a citizen of the country. So the programs that we are working with are literally working at the very, very front line of some, some of the most difficult issues in their country. And it can start with them helping people in, in their communities have access to their their basic rights and it can start with um, ID cards so that they're recognized in their countries as being living beings that you know have a say in our and deserve um, deserve those rights so so there's a whole process of stuff that goes on with our work at the foundation with these small NGOs go feel travel then brings people in to listen and learn and understand what these issues are about and then give them the opportunity to to be a part of our grant making um, so that they can then become stronger and stronger and do more of what of what they're already doing really, really well. So that um, experiential piece is go philanthropic travel. And, um, you know, it isn't about doing for, it's really, really about learning, which is intuitive because when we think about our give back holidays and our give back vacations, we think about doing for when actually our greatest aha moment was that we need to not do do that on the first step. We need to just sit and listen and understand. And it's amazing what happens within that room with just that. We think, well, you know, what, what can really be accomplished with, with, with just bringing people together? Well, I can tell you after 10 years of doing this, that a lot happens, but it, it, it unfolds. It, it could unfold with, you know, some woman on the trip goes home and maybe she doesn't give to that program or or contribute to that program, but she goes home and, and she starts to help women who, who are marginalized in her own community. So kind of the, the, what comes out of these experiences just from sitting and listening and connecting, you know, in the moment is, is tremendous. Um, so we have a real challenge in kind of capturing that on our, you know, you know, summarizing our impact but um it, it really does start there and it, it it starts from from such simple simple steps and in, in doing so we don't um you don't end up feeling pity 
for what, you know, what, what you think you, you think you'd go in and, and feel sorry, but, but you don't, you see, you see what's going on, um, with these programs and these courageous people and you just feel humbled. Um, and you learn so much from their, their courage that to get back to your original point, Matt, and it being this, this two way thing. So you come home feeling so, um, so honored to be around that strength that you have been given to, and it makes you um, see them as, as contributors and not people who are receiving. So there's this whole weird kind of, like I said, counterintuitive, like giving and receiving that goes on because you don't expect to come home feeling so, so humbled and, and like you've been given a gift, but, but you do, you feel like you have. That's amazing. And that sounds like that is the mark of a program that's run well compared to what you described, <laughs> the feeling that you had on your first program where everyone felt like, oh, maybe this was not, this was not worth it by any means. No. And it felt demeaning to both parties. It, oh, it sounds oh, like, um, wow. Oh, okay. So if people want to go out and they want to have this type of experience for themselves, of course, there is mm. your organization that they could get involved with directly, uh, but if they are just about to sit down and Google for volunteer experiences, uh, I should point out that there are so many for-profit companies out there that have listings of all these different types yep. of uh, programs that people can apply for and, and pay for, and one I would think should be wary of the costs and what the money is yep. going towards and okay start to think uh, if i am i going to pay five thousand dollars to go for two weeks and uh live in a place that you know live in a bunkhouse mm -hmm. and dirt floors mm -hmm. where's the rest of that money going to as i rebuild this house except i mean there's so many variables to think about mm -hmm. here uh, but i was hoping that you could help someone get started sure. Okay, so my kind of top neon beware um, when you're doing those searches, if if there's a lot of focus on that service component, you're going to go and you're going to do this and you're going to give in this way and you're going to build and you're going to this. Um, if you see a focus on that, especially at the short term, um, you know, think twice because, um, you know, we've seen that the best way to help is, is for people to help themselves. So if, if there's a, if there's doing for right off the bat, you know, you need to, you need to question that. I, I also think, um, if there's no, no level of skill, uh, assessment, uh, in the process, you know, what, what are we really giving when we don't know what skill we have to give and we're not matching with our skills and there's no process of evaluation of what the program needs and what your skills are as a volunteer? If there's no process of that, you know, right away you've got probably a fertile soil for something to, to not go right. Um, I think also um, people are attracted to working with children. And uh, there are major issues with uh, child protection when it comes to foreigners coming in for sh short term unskilled volunteer placements with children who 
um, any children for that child for that matter, but especially children who have come from traumatized backgrounds, be it, you know, um, situations with their families or not having a mom and dad or coming from war situations or whatever it might be, whatever might place a child in, in an orphanage or residential care, you know that they've lived some trauma. So if that volunteer placement has connection to, to children, um, with no, with, and being short term and no, um, vetting of skills and, and, uh, a, a real skill-based placement. Oh, massive, massive neon light for me that says no go. So, um, in general, I think that, um, think about looking for a program that has an academic education based pro programmatic component first. Because if you don't have that, then, then, then you have no foundation to, to give of yourself. So we all need that. We all need that learning time. And even just in building, you know, Go Phil Travel and Go Phil Foundation, there's just been years and years of that, that period of time where we have to understand. So if we're going to offer that to, to a volunteer, it needs to be there. So folks need to really look at, you know, what kind of preparation am I, am I given? Am I just kind of chucked in there? So it's an evolving market right now. I think the volunteerism industry has really um, taken some, some seriously bad press and, and I think it's needed that shakeup. Um, what I'm concerned about is that someone be afraid to want to take that step and navigate those sea of choices because they're afraid they're going to you know, step into a bad situation. And then, you know, instead they go off and do, you know, go sit on the beach somewhere with a margarita. I mean, that's a shame. Um, look, look for the learning first and, and beware of the service, uh, emphasis on the service. And certainly by all means, stay away from any orphanage placements. Um, because it's been, it's really, really driven, um, a very corrupt business of orphanage tourism where children are, are trafficked into orphanages, um, in order to feed the, the volunteerism industry. It's a very, very, uh, sick byproduct of, of, of good intention. Oh my God. Yeah. I know that, uh, orphanages have taken a lot of bad press lately. Do you have any more details that you could yeah. share? Because I, I'm not, uh, I, I've heard this, but I, I'm not up on the details and I'd love if you could explain a little. So in certain areas where we've seen, um, a lot of tourism, so take Nepal. So where tourism is coupled with, um, you know, poverty. So let's keep it really simple. Um, Nepal, Cambodia, Uganda, all places where popular for, for tourists to go and for young tourists to go. So tourists who maybe don't, are not five-star travelers, but want to volunteer. What has happened is that um, children have been, well, corrupt people know that volunteers have the money to fund orphanages or want to work in orphanages. So there's funding and money and help coming into orphanages. And so they have a need to fill those orphanages. And so where are they going to get those children? Well, any which way they can find them. Wow. And so what's happened is that, um, there's a very, very corrupt business that's being uncovered now where children are trafficked. Um, 
you know, the traffickers go and they, they go into the rural areas of Nepal and they'll say, you know, your kid doesn't have much opportunity here for education. There is education in Kathmandu in these private schools that are, you know, funded by foreigners. And so if you can give me the small amount of money that you have in your in your family pot, I'll make sure that your child gets educated. So the trafficker then takes that family's money and um, brings the child to Kathmandu, puts the child in an orphan in an orphanage, gives them false papers, and then the orphanage is then funded by volunteers who are giving them money. So it's it's a really really a sick situation because there's there's uh, corruption on both sides to the traveler and also to the family, and um, unfortunately it's the child who gets gets caught in this um, because that orphanage is not run well. There isn't any education because in order for the foreigner to be tempted in because there's a need, there ha they have to look like you know there's nothing good here and there has to be this this you know kind of pity party going on. So it's 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 sick and um, it's it's it needs to stop and uh, we're part of a really kind of big and strong movement that's going on now to stop any sort of volunteering in orphanages because of it oh my god well yeah uh, yeah thank you for for letting us know the uh, quick and dirty details there uh, okay where to where to even go from right. from there so yeah, and, and the unfortunate thing is that as all of this comes out and as we understand um, sort of the, the repercussions of our desire to give and what, what that's fueling <clears throat> for people who want to exploit that is that there isn't yet a roadmap, a clean and clear and easy roadmap for people to, to get to a safe place to do that. So um, that's happening now, and there are lots of different organizations coming together to create that and to kind of rewire what went wrong with the volunteerism industry and what went, what went wrong with sort of um, sort of the image of, of, of giving out to the world. And I, I want to just and, and that being that, that we can do that easily without knowing and learning. You know, we have to we kind of have to shut the door to that and start over and recreate this 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 system that starts with 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 education um, and then ends with with a connection as you say that has benefits on both sides and where you come out of it feeling um, in partnership with with humanity as opposed to you know you know a western trying to make someplace else better no, no we're all in this together you know so um, we're kind of in a, a bit of a difficult spot because we have to dismantle um, and that's what we're doing now and um, that, that takes a lot, a lot of different partners from NGOs being knowledgeable and there being um, registration, you know, has to, you know, if you're going to have an orphanage, it has to be registered and it has to follow norms within a country. So governments need to be involved. This, this involves investment from and knowledge from every stakeholder all the way down to the 21 year old volunteer. So it's going to take some time. But um, what we don't want to do is stop anybody's intention to like want to connect and do good in the world. That's that's beautiful, and uh, we got we we have to take that and place it somewhere um, in a safe in a safe place. So, yeah, tall order. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> <Right> this <now. laughs> this is this is just a call to everyone listening to say <laughs> to say that these types of programs need support and that they do. Yes, yeah, so there there's so much out there that has to be done. 
uh, and more smart people thinking about these issues, of course, more financial resources, more people's time going to these types of programs. I think I'll probably end on that note, encouraging, instead of it being, let me go on a volunteer trip, encouraging, what can I learn about the world and, and the global issues that are out there? How can I learn about that? So that eventually what you'll come to is how can I contribute to that, whatever it be, be it, you know, time, resources, whatever it is. Um, but the, the knee jerk, let me try and fix it and let me be the volunteer and let me serve. I think that's where we need to reconfigure things and let, let, you know, let me understand what this world is about and why certain areas are, are lacking in opportunity. And, and I don't think there's enough time there. And I don't think there's enough respect for that. I think we get more kudos personally and from others when we have on our little resume that we went and spent two weeks in an orphanage. That looks cool. You get a gold star for that. Yeah, I think we need to rethink that. That's that's very well said. And uh, Lydia, do you have any resources other than your own, which we'll get to in a minute, of course, but do you have any resources or suggestions on books or websites or any anything where people might start or good organizations? Um, it's really all coming together now. Um, so that's a really tough question, uh, cause there are only just a few that I, that I feel safe, um, referring to. There's a learning service organization, um, it's called learning service. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the website exactly, but I can get it to you so you can share it with, um, with everyone, um, that has you walk through a series of, of videos and kind of rethinking some questions before you want to travel, before you want to volunteer, maybe stop and ask, you know, some of these questions first, which helps to guide you in, in, in maybe what your next step might be. Um, but, but honestly, we're, we're at a rebuild, so okay. um, yeah, I, I don't have a I don't have a big list at the moment. No, that's okay, and I appreciate. But we're happy to to help in any way and, and direct in any way. Great. Well, uh, first of all, I want to link all of the resources up on under30experiences.com/blog for anybody listening, and yeah, so so people can have some links out there and and point them in that direction, and then. Finally, Lydia, if people want to reach out directly to you, read your book, uh, get involved in your community, where can they find you? Well, um, the book is on Amazon, so that's easy to easy to easy to find. And um, I was pretty, you know, pretty clueless at the beginning, so it's a, a good walkthrough of how to, you know, how to how to navigate maybe your own crumb path to get to where you want to be to to do something that is meaningful to you um go philanthropic travel is go philanthropic travel you can just google that and find us and you hit the the contact and it goes to either travis or myself so um we're, we're doing a lot in a lot of places around the world but that one-to-one -one contact we're behind the screen we're real people and uh we we really care about what we do so so anybody will get a response right away and if anybody wants to learn about what's happening um, at the foundation and working kind of what we're learning with about working one on one with with programs uh, and what they need um, and development work, that's gophilanthropicfoundation.org. Um, and that is a growing, growing community of people who want to be a part of that process and don't just want to be donors who, 
you know, write checks or whatever it is. They want to, they want to be a part of that, um, understanding. And, um, that's what that community is about is, is us doing it together and us, um, kind of sharing what, you know, what we're finding along the way. Great. Well, Lydia, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for doing such important work and spreading the word about what people can do to help the snowball effect continue. So thank you again, Lydia. So much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to keeping in touch. Podcast listeners, did you enjoy that episode? If so, I'd be so appreciative if you rated reviewed and subscribe to the podcast. It only takes you two seconds and uh, this helps this podcast be discovered by more people so we can continue, continue to spread our message, our mission of making travel more accessible to young people. And of course, you can get my book available now on Amazon, The Millennial Travel Guidebook, Escape More, spend less and make travel a priority in your life. I would love for you to check it out and leave me a review on there. If you do, again, that helps more people on Amazon discover it. Thank you so much.